Booster is excited to support DIA Schools Collaborative on furthering the missions of our respective organizations through Follow to Lead podcast and other DIA programming. Visit ChooseBooster.com for details on Booster's school fundraising events, technology, and customized spirit gear. Booster can help your Catholic school meet and exceed its fundraising goals. Learn more today. Welcome to Follow to Lead, where we discover how to listen for and follow God's call so that we might lead others to God. Our shared stories of inspiration from religious leaders and those active in the educational ministry of the church can help you know better how God is calling you and the role passionate Catholic education plays in spreading His message of faith, hope, and love. Now please welcome the hosts of Follow to Lead, Father Randy Sly and Kyle Pietrantonio. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Christ the teacher, teach us to listen. Teach us to do the deep listening to the sounds of our soul, waiting to hear your voice calling us to cast out deeper, to become fishers of men and women, shepherds of souls, to follow your will in order to lead others to the truth, beauty, and goodness only you can offer, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to Follow to Lead, a journey twice a month into the world of Catholic education and our faith, exploring what it means to follow God in order to lead others to him. I'm Father Randy Sly, your host, and unfortunately, Kyle Pietrantonio cannot be with us for this episode. And today, we're going to be talking with Chris Ledyard, who is the athletic director for J. Sarah High School in San Juan Capistrano, California. Now, prior to joining J. Sarah in 2016, Chris spent more than 20 years at the helm of the athletic program at Franciscan University in Steubenville. And during his tenure there, he built their athletic program from the ground up, led the school through the process of receiving accreditation as an NCAA Division III school, he facilitated rapid success within the athletic conference of the university and ended up with multiple championships in several of their sports. He was named 2015 Athletic Director of the Year by Sports Faith International and Coach of the Year for Soccer by the Ohio Valley Athletic Conference in 2006, 2007, and 2008. Now, Chris has coached in high school and has state championship tournaments in Ohio and West Virginia in track field, um, excuse me, track and field, soccer and wrestling, and was a college athlete himself, wrestling at Ithaca College, where he was All-State and also an NCAA championship qualifier. And in high school, he played a number of sports, including football, wrestling, soccer, and track. Now, before his tenure at Franciscan University, Chris served as a Catholic high school vice principal for a number of years. He's married with six children. His wife, Lisa, is originally from Oceanside, California, which is not far at all from the J. Sarah campus. So, Chris, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for that intro. Yeah, makes you feel impressed, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I think I just lived a long time. Yeah, there you go. Well, it's really good to have you on, on the program today. And I wonder if you could begin by just telling us a little bit about yourself and your upbringing. I don't think you're originally from California. Nope, not originally from California. Upstate New York boy. I grew up in a small town called Casanova outside of Syracuse. I'm from a family of nine children, and my parents were very active in the faith when I was young, from the time, you know, from the time I was born. So 
my uh, my earliest recollections of faith in my house were you know speaking to my mother or my mother speaking to me about the faith and and sharing who God is and what it, what it means to accept the Lord into your heart. Those are my earliest memories there. <clears throat> and then I would say around third grade, I remember going to the, I, I went to a public school. I remember going to show and tell and bringing some Bibles because I thought it was important that people read the Bible and that did not go over well. <laughs> so that was the first time I realized, uh-oh, other families are not the same as mine. Uh, so, you know, mom and dad, I think were, were, were great about, you know, teaching us about the Lord from day one. We were also very uh, 60s and 70s-ish. So my mom and dad were, well, I was raised in sort of what I would consider today to be a, a bit of a hippie commune type of place. My, I make a joke and say, you know, my parents would pick up hitchhikers and they'd stay at our house for three years. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's not true, but it's somewhat true. You know, they were, they were very open to, you know, really receiving who were hurting. And I think in those days in the seventies and the, 60s, that was not totally uncommon. So raised in a bit of a, you know, crazy, wild, deeply religious atmosphere. When he looked back, when I looked back at it in terms of what, you know, the kind of control that we have today being raised, but also a lot of boys. So I have five brothers and three sisters, and uh, there was a decent amount of fist fighting going on day to day. So it was, it was kind of tough. And, you know, as, from being from the Buffalo area, there was a code that was a bit physical. And, uh, and it sort of, you know, went on all around us. So that was the, that was the way we were raised. Get out, play till five o'clock in the afternoon or until the lights in the sky went out and then head home. Now, would this be what would be considered the time of the Jesus movement? Yes. Yes. So in 1972, I think it was that, you know, mm-hmm. the picture of Jesus on the front cover of Time magazine, I believe, right? Jesus Christ Superstar came out somewhere in that era. And the Jesus movement was big, and my parents were very involved with that. Okay, that's, yeah, that's about the time that I came really alive in my faith, too. So I know those days really well. And those days were also really full of kind of discovering a new mode of of music about the faith. This is really where contemporary Christian music kind of got its birth. Now, a little birdie told me that you had some background in that kind of music and contemporary Christian music. Is that right? It did. So in in my younger days, I mean, before I got into music myself, I was raised on, you know, Larry Norman and Danny Taylor and some of the early Keith Green, some Mm -hmm. of the early Christian artists who were really, they weren't really crossing over because there wasn't an industry in the Christian music industry. It was, it was just people in secular music writing faith-based songs, you know, so, and that industry didn't really take on a a, a clear definitive, I think, direction until probably, you know, late seventies, early eighties is when it became, I think more nationwide or maybe even worldwide. So yeah, that's, um, I was in that kind of music as a child. And then when I began singing myself, I was 14 years old coming out of football practice, literally stepping out of the shower Singing in the shower in the locker room when the current running back, the guy who started in front of me, said, uh, he said, hey, we're looking for a lead singer. Are you interested in singing? So my career started at 14 in some very secular output. A little bit of of Doobie Brothers and a lot of Led Zeppelin. 
Okay, again, some overlap from my disc jockey days <laughs> during that same era. Well, so growing up in that kind of a household, when did your conversion, your coming into the Catholic faith really take place? So it's, it's a bit of a hodgepodge, but basically when I was really young, I would say about six or seven years old, I had real clarity in this area where God was and the way my mother really explained to me, you know, I remember asking her the question, if, if Peter, and this is a heavy question for a six or seven year old, but I remember where I was standing on the porch in Kaz and, and I said, if, if Peter couldn't stand up and admit that he was Jesus's friend and he was his best friend, how can I expect to do that, you know, in my life? And her answer to me was that Peter did not have the Holy Spirit. That was, you know, whether this is uh, theologically accurate or not, I'm not 100% sure. But she said, he, he did not have the Holy Spirit. You have Christ living in you. And I understood that. I knew what that meant. At the time, that seemed very clear and right to me. But throughout the next several years, you know, I was introduced to the world and, and realized that this is not a common, this is not a common stance amongst, you know, John Q. Public. So my goal was to stay steady, but to not get too deep and try to really run away from God and try to just be an average dude, get after a bunch of above average accomplishments and, you know, not really face the, the, the depth of what I needed to or what I knew I needed to in terms of preaching the gospel. So it wasn't until halfway, no, no three quarters of the way through my senior year in high school at that point, I was living in Steubenville, Ohio. My parents had moved there for the, charism the charismatic renewal and really uh, the magnet of Father Michael Scanlon. And, and at that point, I thought I died and went to hell. I, you know, Steubenville was extremely polluted and I was 16 years old and I had two more years of high school and I just sort of woke up angry. Like, yeah, I just want to get out of here. I just need to get out of this place. It seemed too much to me and kind of over the top. So the gist of it is about three months before I graduated from high school, I was in a band. I was be having great success. I was already off to, to I'm going to be off to Ithaca College with a scholarship. My grades were good. I was solid. I looked good and smelled good on the outside. But my brother, Bob, came to one of my gigs in Steubenville, and he said he was an older brother. 11 years older than me. And he never preached to me about anything. He was very, very good brother, solid. And he wasn't like over the top with me about faith or anything like that. And at that time, he, he just said to me after one of our sets, I said, what'd you think? You know, he said, I think you guys are tight, but I got to tell you something, you know, Chris, you're going off to college. He said, if you don't know your creator, you don't have anything. He said, I, I just wow. think you need to get it together. And it kind of came out of nowhere. And there I was, you know, in a, at a concert, I didn't see it coming. And I don't remember my exact words to him, but they weren't great. And a few days later, I was praying in my room by myself. I literally was just seeking God by myself. I don't think I really knew how to pray anymore. <clears throat> and not specifically, but I just was talking to God and just saying, please, if you're real, tell me if I need to change, please help me. If I need to go to college and get solid, let me do this. And, and then I had an experience of probably two or three hours where it, literally it felt like someone was pouring water over me. Wow. And so I, by myself in that room, God directed, my heart changed. And I felt that I needed to go to my brother and my family and, and say, how do I do this? What do I do next? You know, I need to, if I'm going to college, I got to get straightened out. 
Okay, that is that's that is so powerful. So you went to Ithaca College, and mm -hmm. then you went into Catholic education right from there. I did. Yeah, when I got out of college, I, I toured a little bit. And then I, I studied at, at, at Franciscan University through the University of Dayton, they had a program in educational administration. So I, I studied for my master's in educational administration and I started touring with a band that was led by Jim Cowan and, and the uni, and university backed. Okay, very good. And then uh, you spent a few years in high school administration, doing some coaching and that kind of thing. How did you end up back in Steubenville? So I mostly ended up back in Steubenville because of the band. There was a band called Spirit Song and they were big, Franciscan was beginning an outreach. They, they wanted to say, you know, who can go out and preach the gospel? Well, in my four years of college, I had spent so much time with a Protestant organization called the Navigators, which I know you have a background with as well. The Navigators had really taught me how to speak the faith. Uh, in those days, I started attending and being very, very close to a number of Protestant friends who really took me to a different place. I had this experiential life as a charismatic Catholic that was valuable for many, many, many ways, but I couldn't speak the faith out loud. I didn't know how to say it. I didn't know how to share it with someone else. And the Navigators taught me that through college. So that, at the end of that, I my my intention was to go and go into corporate fitness, actually, because my background was in exercise physiology and kinesiology. And so my, I, I intended to go into corporate fitness and, and utilize that, that faith-based piece that I had gained in college when I received a call from Jim Cowan right at the end of my college career. And he said, you know, I've been praying about this, and I think you're the guy, and I think you should come back here and be the lead singer. You've been trained on how to preach the gospel. And and I said, you know, at that time, I said, Jim, I'm barely Catholic. You know, I talk to God all the time and he never mentioned you once. And we both got we both got a good laugh out of it. And then he asked me at the time, would you please pray about this? And so uh, he said, I'll call you in a month. And so a month later, he called and I really felt like the Lord was leading me back to Steubenville. And really, in my heart, I was trying to reconcile the Catholic faith with what I had just learned over the last four years. And so then you ended up at Steubenville and you spent time then in outreach and evangelization, all that. But then you moved into more administration and helping to build the athletic program. Yeah. So that didn't that didn't happen immediately either. What the way that went down is I as I was finishing up at, at, at Franciscan University, I had a year, I got a year of teaching under my belt at Catholic Central High School, which is right next to the university in Steubenville. After that year, they didn't, they were, they were cutting back. And so I was the young guy on the totem pole and I no longer was going to be working at Catholic Central. They just said, Hey, we have to lay you off. And an old friend of mine who was actually my high school vice principal reached out to me from Weirton, West Virginia, right across the border from Steubenville. And he said, I'm looking for a vice principal. I know you're a tough guy and I know you'll come in and talk about God. He said, I got some problems in the school. We have a drug issue. I need somebody to come in here. I know your educational administration background in, in schooling, but he said, I, I'll take a chance on you if you'll come here and, and get after it and help me out, help me clean this place up. And at that point, I took that job because I was like, that's incredible. If I could go right into being 
a high school vice principal and that's what I did. So I, I stayed there for five years. And at the end of those five years was when I ended up looking at Franciscan University for a job. Okay, and then at Franciscan, you spent time, it, it talks about the fact in your biography that you were kind of building things from the ground up. Uh, mm -hmm. Was there much going on athletically at Steubenville beforehand? Yeah, what was happening at, at Franciscan was unique and pretty beautiful. There was a there was a intramural program that was a strong program, and I you know I say that coming from an athletic background. It was a strong intramural program. It was solid, but it was about the internal growth at the school. Father Michael Scanlon had, I believe, rightly so, uh, pulled athletics from the school around 1980, somewhere between 1980 and 82, I believe, and that was to focus the school on a more spiritual direct into a more spiritual direction. So now the university had grown in its academics and in its spirituality in a way that was pretty profound. And, and then I, I entered. And the reason I entered that picture is, is also just kind of a fascinating story. While I was the vice principal at Madonna, my father called me one day, sort of randomly out of nowhere. And he just said, hey, I had a, I had a dream. I just want to let you know, I had a dream that you were the athletic director at Franciscan University. And oh, again, wow. I, joke, I jokingly say, my, my father says like two, two deep things every decade. So I, I thought it was profound. And I said, well, there's no, there's no sports there, dad. And he said, yeah, yeah, that was weird. And that was the end of our conversation. And I couldn't get it out of my head. And I felt like it was really the Lord putting that into my mind. And then two years later, a job came open as a as the intramural director for, for Franciscan. And I felt like I needed to do that. And that was a difficult conversation because at the exact same time, Madonna High School was looking for a principal. My friend who had hired me was leaving and they were looking for a principal. And the principal position at Madonna paid a lot more than going into a recreational position at Franciscan University. And it was a difficult conversation trying to convince my wife that, you know, I think I, I think I need to be at Franciscan. So a few days after the original discussion, I applied and then Franciscan denied me. They hired someone else. Seven days later, that fella quit and I was asked to come in. So that's that's the dubious start at Franciscan University. Okay. Well, I, I would love to dive in a little bit with uh, you about Franciscan, but I really want to fast forward a bit. Now, most administrators would go from high school to universities. You went from Franciscan University to J. Sarah High School. What was going on in your life and in this decision that you had to move forward? Lisa, being from here, you know, had taken... 30 years in Ohio and addressed me one day and just said, I, I want to move to California. We had raised five of the six kids for the most part. We, we had a daughter who was also in high school. She was halfway through high school. So essentially when she first found, she was looking for places in California for me to work. She found Jay Sarah on the internet and then said, you got to check this out. You know, why don't you consider going to this high school? And I said, I, I don't want to go to high school. That's, that's not going to, be a good move. And she said, man, you really ought to look at this. This doesn't look like a high school. And so I started looking at literally online and I, I saw what they, I saw their mission. Their mission statement was very strong. And I, I saw 33 acres of 
of athletics. And I was like, this is incredible. And then I looked a little closer and what I knew as a collegiate AD, I knew of modern day high school. I knew of Servite high school. I knew of St. John Bosco high school. These three schools were very famous for putting out athletes that really had, that were phenomenal. I mean, these, this was the best, this was the best league in the country. I had just never heard of Jay Sarah. And when I saw the mission statement as strong as it was, then I connected with the president here. And in my first conversation with him, he said to me, I, I don't know you, but I know your work and I know of Franciscan, let's get together. Oh, wow. That's, that's quite an interesting and exciting way to kind of begin kind of a, a second, second career almost moving out to the coast and there to helping to really get Jay Sarah to another level in terms of their athletics. Yes. Now, just as, as an athletic director, I know that one of your favorite quotes comes from Pope St. John Paul II. And he says, sports are not merely the exercise of muscles, but the school of moral values and of training and courage and perseverance and in overcoming laziness and carelessness. There's no doubt that these values are of the greatest interest for the formation of personality, which considers sports not an end in itself, but as a means to total and harmonious physical, moral, and social development. Well, that's, that's a huge amount to unpack, but tell me a little bit about your heart and how you see the role of sports in developing today's high school students. So I'll simplify what I think, you know, John Paul II was saying there. I believe there's a shorter version, and I think, it, I think Lou Holtz was the first person I heard this from, but I'm not 100% sure on that context. But I believe that sports do not build your character, as many people say. You know, people say sports build character. I don't think that's necessarily true. I believe that sports reveal your character because oh. it's conflict. Sports reveal your character, and then if you do the right thing, then sports build character. If you do the wrong thing, then sports will become an icon that is rather mind-bending and, and has profoundly poor results on, on societies if you're, if you're looking at this in a, in a way that is, you know, winning, win at all costs. There's, there's nothing about what we do that would veer toward win at all costs. My feeling on this is that we have to teach kids about conflict. I love sports because they hasten conflict. Conflict is what we're all going to experience in our lives. Sports gives you conflict on a level that is not going to change your life. It is a, it's, a, it's a level of conflict that where you learn to become proficient at dealing with conflict. There's the this, this, this self-sacrifice, the, the perseverance, the, pay, the prudence. You know, should I pass here? Or should I not pass here? How do I understand the game? Am I becoming a better athlete? Am I converting to become a better athlete? Am I converting to become a better academician? Am I converting to become deeper spiritually? I believe that we should, as Catholic school educators, create an opportunity that always consider dignity first. Mm -hmm. that, that, the, the, that our personal conversions as coaches, as administrators, and our personal conversions as athletes, we should be teaching them how to convert in these areas. I think it's an interesting perspective when you think of athletics as revealing character mm -hmm. rather than building character. Now, in that, in that sense, 
Well, I know that there's ministries out there like, was it Play Like a Champion today, Sports Leader, which I think is now called Virtue Equals Strength, that that focus on character, focus on virtue as a part of an athletic formation or the formation of athletes in schools. What what do you see in that area of, of using sports or having sports as a context for that? So Focus Ministries has a, you know, a sub, a sub, what's the word I'm looking for? A subset ministry called Varsity Catholic. Thomas Wirtz runs Varsity Catholic. Varsity Catholic is, is, is an organization that I try to get information from to use for developing our coaches. I, I believe that all this stuff begins with the coach, that if in order for a school to have real inroads in teaching kids how to look at sports as a as a as an ends as a means to an end the, the that has to come from the leadership the most profound and useful book that i have found as a tool for us has been inside out coaching by a guy named joe Ehrman, who actually was a buffalo guy mm-hmm. um, but yep. he played he played for many years with the baltimore colts as a as a football player so joe has created a perspective where he coaches coaches around the country and and Joe and his industry and his industry of inside out have made their way into the NFL. So the NFL through the Rams and the Chargers out here in California, these the, Joe's industry is has has made its way around all of California and you can go to sessions and you can take your coaches to these sessions and the gist of this is is that you know we need to build the human being and use sports as a means to build that human being. So do you see practices and, and times like that as a place where coaches can build character and virtue into, the, into their players? I do. I do. So creating curriculum within your practices is, can be very simple and it can be very, very useful. I'm going to give you an example of what is done here at J. Sarah High School. It's, it's profoundly helpful. <clears throat> There's a book about virtue that the nuns here, that we have four nuns on campus, and the sisters have put together a, a book called Virtues in Depth. And there's literally it's incredibly simple. And then with coaches, you need to do it this way. You, you, you are looking at a virtue of the week, every week of the school year. That starts in the academic side. On the academic side, that virtue is introduced. Each week, new virtue introduced. Last week's virtue was magnanimity. This week's virtue, literally here, is patience. So there's a hundred different ways that you could, you could enter this conversation into your what we consider the last classroom of the day. The last classroom of the day is sports. We do not consider athletics as an extracurricular activity. We consider athletics as a co-curricular activity, that this is a part of what we do. So a coach can start a practice and say, all right, guys, what's the virtue of the week? And somebody says, you know, even if, there, you know, if there's 20 guys in your team, 20 girls on your team, somebody's going to know what the virtue of the week is because it is talked about in the classrooms. So now each coach has their opportunity to use this discussion any way they want. So they can say, okay, this, this week, the, you know, the virtues prudence, how does that relate to us here? 
that they can pick a virtue captain. Like you can have a captain on your team and you can have a different person who's a virtue captain. That virtue captain could be weekly or that person could be the same person all year long, all season long. And you have discussions on these topics. All of our coaches pray with the kids. Most of them will pray post-practice. You know, you get a chance to stop and pray. One of the things we started with rugby at Franciscan was practice where we prayed after practice and kids brought petitions there. So when I coached a little bit of wrestling here and the way some of the coaches do it here, they'll say to the kids, hey guys, after practice, they're tired, they're, they're open, they are used to having conversations with each other that are beyond the sports world. And a coach can say, you know, hey, what are you guys dealing with today? Anything in particular you want us to pray for? And a kid, you want to create an atmosphere and an opportunity for everyone to share. Not everyone will share, but there needs to be an opportunity to share so that they can say, hey, I want to pray about, you know, my, my aunt has cancer and she's struggling and she's in her last days or whatever that is. There has to be, you have to create an atmosphere where your kids are used to having conversations because you as a leader, you as a head coach, talk to them about mind, body, and spirit on a regular basis. You know, Chris, I, I've, I've heard some coaches say that focusing on virtues and other things is too hard because it adds to, some, to what they're already having to do in practice. What are your thoughts on how to encourage coaches to balance faith or bring faith into their sports fundamentals? So what I would recommend is that they begin to use some tools out there that are available to help them do that. I, th I think that Joe Ehrman's book, Inside Out Coaching, is the number one treatise on these kinds of things that I've ever read. It's extremely practical. Joe is, is functioning in a very high level when it comes to competition. He's not, it's not a mamby-pamby situation where it's like, yeah, 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 we could talk about, you know, warm and fuzzy things. And then, you know, someday we might get to sports. That's not what this is about. This is about understanding that sports properly directed is, you know, Pius Twelfth used to say, use that term sports properly directed. What Joe, what Joe gets into is sports properly directed need to inform the athlete in mind, body, and spirit. And if you as a coach are not informing the athlete in mind, body, and spirit, or creating an opportunity that, will, that is there to help inform, then you are in fact not using sports the way it should be. I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, that education without values tends to create a more clever devil. I think that if we look at sports as something that can take our kids somewhere it shouldn't go, or we can use sports in a very positive way, and we will understand its real value in their lives and its real value in our lives. You know, I, people, what you have to do is separate the coach who is trying to, who's always looking at the scoreboard and it becomes about them and it becomes about their accomplishments. You've gotta be able to separate that coach from your midst if you wanna have or an organization who that is, truly about the growth of the human beings that we are serving. You know, Joe Ehrman talks about how each of us have memories of coaches and we have these good memories and we have these bad memories. And the, the instances or the, I'm sorry, the, the mantra is basically, was your coach or are you transactional or transformational? And when you start looking at that and you really look at, I need to know myself, you have to ask yourself, am I transactional or am I transformational? And those things are radically different. 
That's that is so true. And I think sometimes we actually remember the transactional coaches more <laughs> than we do the transformational coaches if we've had a negative experience. That's correct. Yeah. In in fact, I, I remember that happening to me in, in seventh or eighth grade, I think it was on one of the teams I went out for. And, you know, I, I think about that. I think about guys, for example, or girls, it could be who say, you know, I'm, I feel like I've been cut out to be an athlete, but I just wasn't sewn up that way. They just aren't able to make the grade. So how would you encourage students that are going through that particular type of thing as high school seems to be a real sorting out period in terms of of students that really can perform well in some of the athletic contests and in others, they're, they just aren't really making it. How do you encourage students in their building of character and value and virtue? And at the same time, maybe they need to be cut from a team. So we have a no cut policy at JSA. That takes care of that then. It yeah. does, but it's not simple. Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to give you an example. This will surprise a lot of people. We have five levels of basketball in our boys basketball program. So there are, there's a varsity, then a J, JV, and then there's two frosh, soft, it's called, and then there's a freshman team. So you, you've got a home for every level of athlete. Mm -hmm. So creating programs to be a home for every level of athlete is the answer, but it takes a lot of investment and it takes a lot of people and it requires a great deal of specific learning you know for example you might hire a head coach uh, you know because it's jay sarah we are in a place where we have a tremendous number of elite athletes so i'm often dealing with professional athletes sons or daughters or this ceo's uh sons or daughters or some very famous people's sons or daughters that's that's who we are as a school we're serving in southern california and there's a lot of people who are of means who end up living here and so now you have an exceptional competitive athletic development that you really need to work on. There are kids who come in, they want to be athletically developed. That's great. That does not negate the spiritual opportunities or the academic opportunities. Right. What we have to do is discuss, okay, how we deal with this elite athlete or this group of elite athletes on varsity can be very different than how you coach the next level down at JV and, and even further different than the next level down at the frost soft level and or the freshman level. So the answer to your question is create a space where everyone can land. And it sounds to me like the athletic director really has to work hard at keeping those gradations really defined in the minds of the coaches. That is correct. So, so Jay Sarah would be an example I would give here as I got here five years ago, this was not the philosophy. It was, it was different. So, you know, my president, Rich Meyer, was looking for a philosophy that was more of a multi-sport athlete philosophy, a philosophy where we kept the intensity of the elite athlete. We have lots of kids going to the pros. A few years ago, we graduated the number one overall athlete in the MLB. So the number one draft pick in the MLB in Royce Lewis. Royce now plays for the Minnesota Twins. You can imagine the elite nature of our baseball program with our head coach, Brett Kay. It's pretty impressive. So there's a lot of kids who get drafted each year. And when you have that, you then have to have, okay, what does the next level down look like? Is it a feeder? Is it, is it someone playing JV who moves up into that space? Or 
do you rebuild from the varsity programs depending on the athletes that come to your school in the following year? So it, it, it's a it's a it's a big puzzle in every yeah. sport. There are 27 sports here, and every sport is a different answer to that question. However, the philosophy remains the same. We have to become better as human beings. We are going to get these athletes who come in. They're going to have different levels of skill. And every one of my coaches needs to be able to handle those different levels of skill and those different atmospheres. That That's really, I think that's outstanding because there are a lot of guys perhaps who know they're, they're not going to play in the majors that, you know, they're not going to play pro football. They're not going to go into pro basketball, but they always want to be able to play well in a pickup game with the guys after work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, it sounds to me like they could be developed at, at that level very nicely and enjoy some time playing, playing competitive sports in high school. Yes. So what I would, what I would grant, Jay Sarah and the and you know and particularly Rich Meyer, my president, as to having vision. His vision was that we can, in fact, inform deeply our athletes through sport in their spiritual growth, their academic growth, and their athletic growth. It does not happen in a school where the president is not for it. It has to be the board members, the president, the athletic director saying. Our number one priority is our development because we cannot impart what we don't have. We have to develop in mind, body, and spirit in order to impart that to our athletes. So the last five years, I have been looking closely for coaches who believe this. Right. So we, 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 we kid around here. And we call it a Lincoln Riley moment. Lincoln Riley was just, you know, just recently hired as a head football coach. You guys know that. And, and that, was a, that was a serious change, you know, at SC. It's, it's, that's a significant turning point where people turn their heads and say, whoa, I want to go to school there because he's there. I'm always looking for those Lincoln Riley moments here at J. Sarah. I want to find coaches who are magnets and are open to spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. and want to, and they know coming in, it's my job to create an atmosphere where kids can grow spiritually, academically, and athletically. It's their job to create a, a, an open atmosphere that allows a kid to play a second sport or a third sport, to not harass them about go, moving on to another one, mm-hmm. but to still create an elite atmosphere and also create an atmosphere where, you know, you have someone walking in who says, you know, I don't know how to play this game, but I really want to play. This has got to be freeing up for coaches who really want to build character in their, their athletes. And maybe they're in a school where they're being pressured for the wins and things yeah. like that. Yes. Yes. And so that's an interesting point. That's, to me as an athletic director, I have to believe in this to a point where, you know, when a coach comes in and says, look, you know, I, I know I didn't win. You know, I know I was owing forever this year and, you know, I didn't get it, but I'm really trying to build the culture, you know. I have to know whether that statement is true or false. Right. So when I see a coach who's building a culture that I believe in and is the right direction, I, you know, if, if they got kids that can't, cannot, cannot yet initiate what it is they're coaching, they don't have the skill or they can't quite execute properly, that's okay with me. Mm-hmm. It's okay with me. I have coaches who have walked into walked into this place 
and built CIF champions. CIF is the, is the governing body in California and built CIF champions literally in two years. And I have coaches who haven't yet done it, but they've been here four years and their culture is phenomenal and their kids are happy and the parents are happy and we're getting after it and we're getting better every year because don't get me wrong. This is not about not getting better athletically because if you're not getting better athletically, that means you're not a good coach. Mm -hmm. So if you're not getting (laughs) better, if you're not, if your culture is not getting better, that means you're not a good culture builder. If your academic stuff is not getting better, most likely that means you're not paying attention to it. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that when I was president at St. Michael High School that I really loved when our when our team was playing perhaps a public school and after the like our football team was playing and then after the game, they invited the other team if they wanted to to come and pray with us. And it was amazing to see the response on the part of other teams, other coaches to want to just come and hang out with us afterward, have prayer, just spend some time. And it was really, especially if we lost, that was kind of a thing that's really neat on our part to do something like that. But to me, that that really also speaks to the fact that there's kind of an evangelization moment for athletics. I know Pope Francis once said, sports can open the way to Christ in those places or environments where it's not possible to announce them directly. What What's your experience been in regard to evangelization in that part? So I'll start by saying the practice that you're describing, praying with a team after a game, is profoundly effective. It's profoundly effective, it, especially if you become the team that it's expected of. So in mm-hmm. other words, you know, my experience has been that when other teams expect that of you they know you're the team that that comes and prays you know funny things from funny things to very serious things occur you know i've had coaches walk over and say hey uh, just so you know you know before a game starts i'm in for the prayer we're in for the prayer after the game we're, we're good yeah you know and i get a kick out of that because yeah. for whatever reason they felt like they needed to say that i've gone from that to the very serious moment one of my favorite moments of all time in terms of praying after the game I felt the need to speak to one of my players before one of the games um, because he couldn't stop talking. He was he was a chirp in soccer and just talk and talk, talk smack to the other team. We'll call him Steve. And I said, Steve, you know, you need to stop chirping during the games. You got to cut it out. It's I don't you fight like a bear. You get out there and you get after it. But no more chirping. No more chirping. Just play hard, play as hard as you want to play, but do not talk to the other player. So he was visibly upset with me. Like, why are you talking to me like this before a game? He's going out there. He's a defensive back in, you know, he's on the back line in soccer and the striker from the other team was an African guy. And I don't mean African-American. I mean, he was from Africa. And so the African guy was getting after it pretty hard. And Steve and he were going after each other real hard. It was a great game. They were really getting physical, but spoke. And uh, the African guy got off a nice show. And game was over. And with about 12 seconds left in the game, literally, we ended up scoring and winning the game. So our team goes over to talk to the other team and ask them, hey, do you want to pray with us after the game? And when we went over and said, do you want to pray with us? The team said, yes, we do. And the team started to walk on the field. 
to pray with us. And the coach from the other team, I was 10 feet away, said, hey, fellas, get your stuff and get on the bus. And he and all the kids turned around and waited for a second. And he goes, you heard me. Get your stuff and get on the bus. And every kid on that team went back to the bench, walked away from the prayer, except one dude. The African dude said, coach, I'm praying. And he stepped into our circle. And I heard one of our guys say, welcome. And he prayed with us. And then that game was over. And in my heart, I knew that was God telling me to speak with Steve before the game. That was God making an impact on that kid's life. And it reminds me of, I believe it was St. Francis who said, work like it depends on you and pray like it depends on God. Hey, if there was one thing that you could say to your fellow athletic directors at other Catholic schools, what would you say to them? Well, scripture says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. He doesn't mean that in terms of accept athletics. Just get out there and get after athletics and don't seek me first. That is not what was meant by that scripture. So what I would say to them is, is know yourself, know yourself and know God and don't be afraid to pass that on inside of any program, in particular athletics. That's well said. Thank you so much. You know, I have one, one more question before we kind of wrap things up. And in addition to being an athletic director, you're on the leadership team at J. Sarah. You're an administrator in Catholic education. You've had, you know, you've been through, we've been through a lot this last few years. COVID and everything else has really challenged schools in such a powerful way. What do you see as an administrator as the greatest need that our teachers have in our Catholic schools today? Probably recognizing our own place within education. So one of the things that Joe Ehrman talks about in his book, Inside Out, is, is the difference between purpose and goals. Goals have a beginning and an end. Your purpose is a why. Right. Why are you here? Why do you teach? Why do you keep doing this? To me, what I would say is, is that every educator, including coaches, needs to know, why are you here? And not only that is we need to surround ourselves with other people who believe that why are we here is the first question we should ask ourselves. So in other words, the, the, the brotherhood or the sisterhood that occurs surrounding you as a collegiate or a high school you know, coach or even a grammar school coach, why are you doing this? Know why you're doing it. Know God, know yourself and know why you're doing this and you'll have an impact. Okay, well said. Yeah, I think that is such a key thing. It's just that whole thing of, of our knowing why we're here doing what we're doing. Obviously, in Catholic education, it isn't because of the big bucks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. Yeah. And, and we have a saying here that we say a lot. We, you know, we're surrounded by with this co with COVID and what we've all been dealing with with COVID. What I call this is distractions. They're all distractions. You know, there's 58 different ways to look at this. And I know from a political perspective, there are several sides and, and difficulties along the way, but we always say to each other, hey guys, let's keep the main thing, the main thing. Keep the yep. main thing, the main thing. You know, it sounds very sophomoric and somewhat, you know, odd, but it works because it puts your head back in. What am I fighting for? What am I fighting against? Mm -hmm. What am I not fighting for? What am I not fighting against? Keep the main thing, the main thing. Why are you here? Yeah, that is so good. I know for us at St. Michael, it was, 
keeping the doors open, keeping the students learning, mm -hmm. keeping things working as close to normal as possible while mm -hmm. minimizing the health disadvantages. So, but you just keep your head down and you just take it one day at a time. That is, that is yeah. so true. Chris, thank you so much for being thank with you. us today. This has been really delightful. It has been delightful. There's so many takeaways from, from this episode that I, I just don't want to even begin to reflect on them right now, but I just am so glad that you were able to get on here and, and share some really great perspective on how athletics is a co-curriculum, you know, in our schools today that can really help to form our students for the future. Chris Ledyard, again, thank you so much for being with us on Follow to Lead. And for our viewers and listeners, if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and be sure to leave some comments behind to encourage us on our future programming. I'd also like to thank our intern, Alex Shire, for assisting us in the production of this podcast. May Almighty God bless you. We'd like to thank you for joining us on this episode of Follow to Lead, a production of the Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative. To learn more about finding your own path in your journey of faith, or for more information on what we discussed in today's episode, you are invited to follow us on social media and visit us on the web at diaschools.org. To provide a one-time donation or monthly pledge, please visit our website. Your gift will aid us in providing up-to-date information, additional resources, and other support on how to take Catholic education to a higher level. We look forward to helping you follow God's call to lead others to God right here on Follow to Lead. <laughs>